You ready? Are you sure? I'm going to go slow for you. I'm going to go slow for you. Because I've talked real slow. Because modern preachers don't ever talk like I'm about to talk to you. So I'm going to talk to you this way because every member in your sphere of influence, including your family, are going to be saved. Yes and amen. Hallelujah. But before you thank God for that, I need you to thank him that you're not in hell. I mean... Hell is not a figment of your imagination. Hell is not the rhetoric of the modern preacher. Hell is a place, your Bible says, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Hell is a place where your nerves become nothing more than strings upon which Satan will play the diabolical tune of hell's unalterable lament, not for a day or two or a week or a month, but for the endless unlocked wheels of the ages of time. Hell is a place where your veins become nothing more than the highways for hot feet of pain to travel. Hell is a place where men gnaw their tongues. Just bite your tongue a little bit. Just bite it. It's one of the most central areas in your entire body for the sensation of pain. Bite your tongue just a little bit. Did you ever bite it while you were eating? Think about men gnawing their tongues off to try to distract from the pain that they are experiencing and yet cannot die. Hell is a place where men will beg to die and cannot. Now you may be seated. Last week I shared with you that the apex of all Christian endeavor must become to place the jewel of a soul in the crown of our Savior. The problem in the modern church is that we have lost all hold on the realities of God's Word. We have heard and witnessed a gospel preached for the last 50 years that is not a gospel at all. It is a gospel of humanism. It is not a gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a gospel that is void of any understanding of eternity. It is a gospel that is centristic, revolving itself only around this material world and how you supposedly can have a better life in it. That's what church has become. Church has become Luke 6.38. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, heaped up, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. The modern church has become Deuteronomy 28. I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. We are being blessed all the way to hell. Uh, modern preachers tell us there is no hell. 
because if they were truthful about it, they would have to realize and proclaim that they're heavy on the road to it. I have had it with adulterous preachers. Okay, just sit there. I have had it with adulterous preachers. See, some of the church can't clap because they involve themselves. Anyway. I refuse to pastor a church of lions who are not hungry. It is not a natural thing to have a burden for souls. It is not a natural thing to care more about a soul than gossiping on your text message about things you know nothing about. I am weary with churches collapsing because the leadership cannot find its way out of sin. That is not this church. It has never been this church. And as long as I'm breathing, it will never be this church. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, I believe much of the secret. Now, did you catch what I said? Having a burden for souls is not natural. Any more than loving your neighbor as yourself is natural. Any more than loving your wife as Christ loved the church is natural. Any more than tithing is natural. Any more than praise is natural to the unregenerate. But to the born again, it is as natural as breathing. So what am I to surmise? I believe it is this, that I agree with my great mentor gone to heaven, the great Leonard Ravenhill, who said, I sincerely doubt whether even 5% of the people filling pews in churches today are even saved. If you got a $1 million bonus, would you tell people if you doubled your salary, would you tell people? If somebody dropped off a brand new Mercedes Benz in your driveway and handed you the keys and the paid off title, would you tell somebody? And yet God gave you a revelation of yourself in hell and you have a hard time standing up and giving him praise. 
I'm just waiting on you to do it. that Ohio Stadium is full and churches are empty? How is it that, give me my scripture from Sunday morning, narrow is the gate, go. I'm, you understand I'm just talking to you tonight because something's about to happen in here this coming Sunday morning. Thank you for your enthusiasm. We did this Sunday morning. Straight is the gate. Uh, Pastor Tim, Matthew seven fourteen, for the scripturally impaired. If the devil does one more thing to try to bind up what's going to happen here Sunday morning, I'm going to make him pay double. Just give it to me. Just give it to me. Oh, you got the MEV. That'll work. Have you all found the seventh? chapter of the Gospel of Matthew yet? Matthew 7, 13. Listen to what it says. Enter the, at the narrow gate. The what kind of gate? The narrow gate. Now remember who's speaking. Jesus. Enter into the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who are going through it. I could say many in your family that are going through it. I could say many at your workplace are going through it. I could say many in your classroom at university are going through it and uh, virtually all of your professors. Because small is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. How many modern preachers have you ever heard take that text? They're not going to take that text. Because they are humanists and they want you to believe and they are universalists and they want you to believe that anybody and everybody can make it to heaven. There are many ways to God. Well, that's what prophet Oprah tells you. 
There are many ways to God. It really doesn't matter how you get to God, but if you prescribe to whatever religious code may match the lifestyle you choose to live, then you'll go to heaven. For the Muslims, it would be if your good works outweigh your bad works. Are you listening? For many evangelicals, it's just if you go to church one time every six weeks, which is the average in evangelical churches in America today, the average hottest on fire believers in America today average going to church one time every six weeks. Are you with me? I went three times every week and went to every night of revivals like I was just in in Missouri on Monday night that lasted till 11 o'clock every night for as many as eight weeks at a time. And I still passed school. And my mom and daddy still made it to work, both jobs, every day. And we still ate at home breakfast and dinner. Every day, the four of us together. You say that's impossible. No, it's not impossible because my mom didn't have to get her nails did and her hair did and my daddy didn't play golf and he didn't eat a boy's night out. Which is all, which is all devil speak in the modern church. It's quiet up in this Presbyterian church. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart. Okay, this is the third time he's brought it up to me, and I'm just going to tell you. Okay? The gospel of Jesus Christ is anything but inclusive. You don't even know how to respond to that. The gospel of Jesus Christ, if it is anything, it is exclusive. I need you to understand. Everybody is not getting in. Okay, how about this one? Lord, in your name, first of all, they called him Lord. In your name, we cast out devils. And he said, yes, you did. So you think if somebody casts out a devil, they're in. That's not what he said. I know so-called prophets that are nothing more than shysters that dupe the body of Christ out of their money with lying signs and wonders. Now look, I, I just want you, I just so desperately want people to get back 
to at least a foundation of what the gospel is. Here's the gospel. Human persons are lost without God or his son, undone and justified to spend eternity in hell. The universalist modernist preacher wants you to think all men at their core are good. They are not good. You never had to teach your children to lie. I don't know why we have sex education. Seems to me like they pick it up pretty good on now. Can I just talk to you? The gospel is not about all your goosebumps in worship. Half of it's idolatry to begin with. It's idolatry. Half of the preaching that modern Christians shout about, half of that preaching is nothing more than false doctrine. But since we don't ever crack a Bible open ourselves, we don't know the difference. Entertainment does not equate anointing. How about this? And I got a church that's grown every single week since the first of January, talking just like this. I got that other bunch calling me in to have revival for. Do you know what revival is? It's when the church gets saved. It's not when they get saved. It's when the church gets saved. We have lost our first love because we have an overinflated opinion of ourselves. The Bible says men ought not think of themselves more highly than they should. And all modern preachers want you to do is think more highly of yourself than they should, than you should. Why are we spending all our preaching time trying to puff up what God told us to crucify? Self-sacrifice is entry-level Christianity. You don't need faith to get a bigger house. You need faith to win your lost tribe to Jesus. And if you do that, he'll take care of your house. Be seated. So I'm just, I'm just really, I'm just really eaten up with this thing about the gospel being exclusive. Didn't we cast out devils in your name? Yeah. As if to say, so it was my name. but I don't know your name. Remember those demons? Jesus, we adjure you by Jesus Christ whom Paul preaches. And the devil said, uh, let's see now. Jesus, got him, know him. Paul, well acquainted. Who 
the are you who you is huh huh you can't praise the God that I serve you can't encourage yourself in the Lord my God you can't look at that girl getting out of a wheelchair and truly rejoice until you realize the main reason for you to rejoice is because without him, you'd be in hell. Let's get a church shouting about that. Let's get people on the Instagram and Facebook saying, I just want everybody to know I'm saved and I'm not going to hell and it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me instead of gossiping. Well, did you hear this? Did you hear that? I have a question for you. What does it have to do with you? The disciples asked Jesus that once. He looked them square in the eye and said, what's that to you? I thought you were following me. Meaning Jesus. It's quiet in here. It's quiet in here. The gospel, say it, is exclusive. If I tell folks, uh, I'm going to have a prayer meeting, uh, but I'm going I'm to do a prayer meeting online, and I want everybody to join me. A large group of people will join. If I say, I'm going to have a prayer meeting, but it's only for a very exclusive group of people, and you have to register to get the, the special code. Four times more people will be on that. Why? It's exclusive. The kingdom is exclusive. Pharisees, you do a pretty good job with external religion. You're out. Sadducees, you're so sad, you see, because you don't believe in angels and you don't believe in the supernatural and you don't believe in the spirit world. You're out. I'm, I'm trying to remind you of what he said. He said, enter at the narrow gate. There are seven billion people on planet Earth tonight. Seven billion people. B -b billion. We just celebrated our 23rd church in Pakistan in 19 months. Eleven thousand Muslims. 
how come you're not texting somebody in the middle of the night to find out about that? Eleven thousand souls born again in those 23 churches in 19 months. Eleven thousand Muslims who found out the gospel is exclusive. You are born a Jew. You are born a Muslim. You are born again a Christian. Why? It's exclusive. You are not born again of the flesh, your Bible says. You don't get it because mommy and daddy had it. You don't get it because you sit in these pews. You don't get it because you sing songs. You know, this is part of the struggle with the modern Christian life because you've had a bunch of backslidden preachers that told you all the gospel is is for you to try to be a better person. You are never going to be a better person. You need to be a new How many people on earth? Seven billion. In all of the Christian world, Christian world including every kind and shade of what would be considered Christian, including Jehovah's Witness, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, all of them put together. Two billion. That means if Jesus came this Sunday morning, 72% of the earth would immediately be in hell. So the question begs to be answered, what are we doing? Last week, in the greatest church in the world, I begged for people to invite someone to church because I was going to preach a message called what to do when the lights go out on the road to hell. Do you know how many people did out of thousands? Less than 50. Now remember, we didn't ask anyone to bring anybody to Jesus themselves. We didn't even ask if they said yes. We just asked, did you bother to invite anybody? Here's the point. Here's the point. It's not natural. It's not natural to have a burden. Why is it not natural? Because you're in your flesh. And you have been taught and trained through the years that it's all about you. But it's not all about you. In fact, you don't exist.
except for him. No, no, see, people, people don't know how to respond to that old Canfield. Right? We don't know. I'm just walking you through this. I'm just walking you through it. Here's the deal. If I love my neighbor as myself, and your Bible bears out that you love yourself, for no man, quote, ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. You with me? So we take care of us. You know, it's even worse now because we're in the you got to do you boo culture. You know, you got to do you. You know, you know the theme song of hell? I did it my way. You know the number one statement in hell? I never intended to be here. There was a lawyer. There was a lawyer, very, very successful attorney. He had a gentleman come into his office to talk and discuss his case. So they did that for a little while. And then, with a little bit of a nervous voice, the man seeing the great attorney said, why are you not yet a Christian? Obviously, said the attorney, you don't know me. You don't know my reputation. To which the gentleman responded, well, no, I don't, but that's not what I asked you. I asked you why you are not yet a Christian. Well, I suppose then you don't know that I am given to drink. In fact, many folks say I'm a drunk. That's not what I asked you. Why are you not yet a Christian? Well, I'll just go ahead and tell you. Everyone knows anyway, I've not been faithful to my wife. That's not what I asked you. You see, dear one, you are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Finally, the gentleman asked the final time, why are you not yet a Christian? And the man responded, I suppose, because no one has ever invited me. And there beside 
that great mahogany desk, Cyrus Schofield knelt down and prayed the sinner's prayer. Now, no one gasps when I say Cyrus Schofield because you know Look Magazine and Reader's Digest and the Dirty Housewives. Cyrus Schofield wrote the greatest comparative study Bible ever placed in the hands of men. On his way to hell, an adulterous drunk, until somebody was brave enough just to invite him. They're not going to make it to heaven, folks, because you want them to. They're not going to make it to heaven because you hope they will. And some of you parents hide behind this verse pretty often. Well, I took them to Sunday school when they're little, and the book says if you train a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he will not depart from it. Maybe he'll never make it to old. What if your baby doesn't make it to old? These are the realities of the gospel. Now, I bless you and preach about your finances. I bless you and preach about your joy. I bless you and preach about your healing. But the Bible says, what if God heals your body and you end up in hell? Do you know that there's only one thing worse than going to hell? That's that somebody else will go there because of your influence or lack of it. And the only thing better than going to heaven are all those folks that you're going to invite to Sunday morning that are going to give their lives to Jesus and they're going to look at you when Jesus says, enter in my good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Blessed be the holy name of God forever. They are the reward of his suffering. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about thanking him. God wants you blessed. He wants you healed. But when, when are we ever going to get a burden for souls? Okay. I'm going to take six minutes, just because I said that, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a key. Are you ready? Do you want it? I said, do you want it? Yes. Well, okay, it's in here somewhere. I didn't have much time, 
this evening I only put together nine pages of notes. So let me let me find exactly where I put that. Here it is. Here it is. Let's see. Spurgeon said, if it's heroic to rescue a life, how much more so to rescue a soul? If you saw a person terribly wounded in the parking lot when you walk out of this building tonight, would you walk past them? It's not a trick question. Would you walk past them? What would you do? Well, most of you, if you saw somebody in that condition, the first thing you would do is scream because you would be so taken back that someone would be in that kind of a condition in front of you. So what would happen if God gave you a vision of what people's souls look like on their way to hell. See, you look on the outward appearance and everything looks fine. But inside, full of dead men's bones. <laughs> the necessary love of souls to ever become an effective soul winner, these things are necessary. Number one, it is a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. It's provided by grace, but it's a gift. And a gift must be asked for and received. So God says to you tonight, have a cookie. But in order for you to get that cookie, you have to do something. You have to make the necessary step to reach out and take it, eat it, and ingest it so that it becomes a part of you. Do you understand? So that grace to be upon you as it is upon me and has been since I was eight years of age. When I was 10 years of age, I went door to door with Roman road tracks and led people to Jesus on my own. I didn't go to church because they have the coolest worship. <laughs> Do you understand? All right. So it's a gift of grace. It is not a natural impulse. It is not kindness. It is supernatural. It is not friendship. It is supernatural. Glory to God. It is a divine instinct. It is a Holy Ghost inspiration. It comes to you supernaturally. I was going through a drive-thru earlier today and there wasn't anybody there. And the, I looked inside the room and there wasn't anybody there but one person working. I thought, here we go. Just me and you in this window, honey. 
First of all, I'm inviting you to church. But second, you might as well meet Jesus today. I've just had the worst day. I know the answer. His name is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Yeah. So then you start in. Lord Jesus, I was born. Just repeat after me, honey. I get nearly as many people born again by ambush as I do on purpose. I need to start doing it again. I used to just walk out into church services. I remember one service, Elder Canfield, you were there. There were three young ladies seated there, and I said, uh, you three there, stand up with me, right in the middle of my message. I said, stand up with me. So they stood up. One was a Roman Catholic, one was a heathen, and one was a Methodist. They'd all been drunk the night before. I didn't know that. They just looked like three nice young ladies. So I said, stand up. Repeat after me. What are they going to do? They're in front of all these people. <laughs> Am I telling true? Yes, sir. You I said, stand up. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a filthy sinner. I'm a filthy sinner. And then they started crying. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to accept you tonight as my personal Lord and Savior. By this time, they're weeping so hard they can't breathe. But there was conviction in the church. Oh, you're not listening to me. You couldn't, be, you couldn't live in adultery and sing on the platform. And we didn't mentor you out of it. And all three of those young women got born again that night, baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, and lived for Jesus the rest of their days, raised their children in church, married godly men. Why? Well, somebody just invited them. It's not hard. But you have to ask for it. Say, Jesus, give me a burden. So you have to be careful what you pray for. Because you first start praying this, you may experience nothing. And then all of a sudden, maybe three weeks in, you'll find yourself in a pool of tears in the middle of your bedroom floor at four o'clock in the morning with the Holy Ghost groaning through you for your family to be saved. And then in about two weeks, they'll all be in this altar. Mm -hmm. That's the first mm, I felt all night. That was a good one. Give yourselves a glory to God right now. All right. All right. It is only a result of the love of God spread abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. If I love my neighbor as myself, 
and I sure do love myself, and I am not going to allow myself to go to hell, then how in the world are we loving our neighbor as ourselves if we don't think that we should get involved with them not going to hell? True? Okay, what? A burden is a weight. It's a weight of love on your heart. It's a weight of love on your heart. If you don't have it right now, you need it. Everybody needs it. It's a, it's a, a heaviness of heart that when you see the things that were portrayed on that screen, something gets a hold of the inside of you. When you realize that 72% of all the people you meet are on their way to hell, something begins to weigh on you. And it's not a bad thing. Dear God, the modern church would rebuke it. I've just got a heaviness on my heart. My, my, my teenager's on crack. I, I'm, I'm not sure that my husband's not having an affair. Well, we just rebuke that in Jesus' name. Now we speak against this thing. No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're casting out the burden they have to get those people to God. But you're so dippity dude in modern theology, you don't know the Bible. I want a church where teenagers and young adults get such a burden for souls. I've never seen it in this church, and this is one of the greatest churches in the world, but I grew up with it. That when my pastor would start to give an altar call, people all over the building would not look at their watches. They wouldn't fiddle with their purses. They would begin to weep and cry. And young people would walk down the aisles and find another young person. We'd pray with people for 30 minutes in the pews to get them to the altar. Now you do an altar call and a third of the people walk out and get in the way of people trying to get down the aisles to Jesus. Right? Say, we're not that bunch. Come on, say, we're not that bunch. Paul Youngie Joe told me we were going to build the greatest Pentecostal soul winning church in the United States of America, and I refused to let it go. God didn't bring me back from the dead to just preach the prosperity gospel to you. Shout, give me a burden. I don't want my family in hell. A burden is the secret blessing of God. It is the product of prayer and compulsion. You know what a compulsion is? You can't stop doing it. Prayer is supposed to be a compulsion. You should have to make yourself stop praying. How come nobody tells you this? Because it costs something. And they're afraid if their brand of Christianity costs you something, you won't come back. 
but I'm not. Because my job's not to get you to come back. My job's to get you to heaven and take everybody you can with you. Say, I'm going to have a burden. A burden burns usually for a single soul. If you're trying to pray for the world, stop. If you're trying to pray for your neighborhood, stop. If you're trying to pray for your family, stop. That's not where a burden comes. A burden comes for a person. How many? How many? How many? How many? How many? How many do you want God to put on your heart for Sunday? Just one. Just give me one. Let me give up a meal or two. Not because I tried to, but because I forgot to eat. Why? I'm com I've got a compulsion. I'm compelled to do it. I'm com see that. See, the issue with soul winning is preachers always try to teach people and get people to do it. I can't teach you. I can give you tools. But until you get a burden, until you get a compulsion, it won't do one ounce of good because you just walk out of here and never do it. Because what we deal in is the supernatural. Soul winning begins with a burden. Deborah, Deborah George has a burden. She can't sleep for it. She can't eat for it. Yeah, but that's her gift. No, it's not. That's not some special calling. Are you listening? A burden. A burden for somebody. And it's not there all the time. God will bring a person to you in your life and raise them up in your spirit to the point that you are their connection to eternity in heaven and you know it. Woo! That's pretty good stuff. Oh, I wish I... A burden can occasionally come for a stranger, but not often. Not often. A burden comes for a friend, an acquaintance, a family member. I feel like I'm speaking a foreign language regarding something that's very familiar to me. So I don't want you to be offended by what I'm saying. I am not criticizing you because you don't have it. I want to lead you into having it because you need it. Preachers are not the only ones that are going to stand in the judgment and somebody's going to look at them on their way to hell and say, you never told me. And God said, their blood I'll require at your hands. Not whether they accept it or not, but whether you told them or not. Mm. A burden is fostered in prayer and it abides in hope. Now, in times past, I have preached an entire sermon from every one of these points. So I'm just going through them for you now. A burden comes. Say, a burden comes. What does that mean? It's not manufactured. 
I can't impress upon you enough. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. How many of you feel like you have ever truly had what I'm describing for a person? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you believe that God wants to baptize us in burden? Yeah, he does. He does for lost people. Now watch. A burden, the divine outcome, a burden is the divine outcome of truly being born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you are those two things, you cannot escape the fire of God beginning a burden for a lost person in you. However, if you ignore it, it dies out. It goes away. That's the reason the majority of people, a newly born again person, soul winning to them will be as natural as breathing. If you catch them then, and you teach them then, and you train them then, they'll win souls the rest of their life. Like Deborah George grabbing a Gideon Bible and telling people you could find John 3.16 in the book of Revelation and winning hundreds of people to Jesus every week. That ignorant of God's word. But there's a zeal, there's a fire when you first truly are born again. Now there's another problem because there are so many people that have been told they're born again, but they're not. So that's another issue. Okay, I'm, I'm finished. If you crack the door of devotion, true devotion, meaning Bible reading and prayer, if you crack that door of communion with God's word and God's spirit, a burden will come. It will come. You just have to recognize it and then and then pray over it, fan the flames of it, and with it will come the boldness, the opportunity. You will not have to try to do it. You will do it as naturally as walking. How many of you want that? Then slam your Bible shut till I can hear it. That's it. And stand. Hallelujah. 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 God, give us that gush of primitive love. Gushing out for our friends and our family. I speak to you now in the name of Jesus. I release to you a mighty burden for one soul. Just one. Give us the one, Jesus. Give us the one. We want to bring you. For what you've done for us, Jesus. We want to bring you that which makes your heart rejoice. That for which you died. That for which you suffered a hurting soul. May this week we put our ear to heaven 
and hear the cry of the Holy Spirit. May we put our ear on the chest of one we love and hear their heart crying out for Jesus. Make us the connection between the two and may heaven receive its reward. In Jesus' name, Satan, I bind your power <laughs> over every person that we desire to bring into this place on Sunday morning or in Elkhart or in front of a television screen watching live in the name of Jesus. We loose them now into the kingdom of God and of his Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to give God a great, 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 great praise. Hallelujah! Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.